Who is this being delegated to? How are you holding them accountable? The board really needs to understand who's supposed to do what. What helps make a college resilient? And sometimes it takes acts of bravery. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. For this episode of In the Know, we interviewed Justin Collinger, a risk management consultant at United Educators. We talk about risk management on campus and the wide variety of ways colleges can prepare for risk and protect themselves. This is part of a series we curated for College Safety Month and is part two of a two-part episode. So where, where do you even begin to, to start to make any kind of difference on this and to organize it in such a way that uh, people can do their very best to address any potential threat or have a baseline set of, of precautions in place so that they can handle anything? This is really the important time to be thinking about that. It's when you have the fewest resources available to you, um, when you have kind of those external pressures that are really pushing the sector or your organization kind of to the brink, um, that's when you need to be thinking about it. And I think that's okay because I think that you can be really successful in risk management without a lot of resources. There's a community college that I'm thinking of. Again, I can't speak to specific institutions, um, but I think that they're doing a really good job of risk management despite a lack of resources. Um, the big university that I'm thinking of, they brought in a risk manager from a um, healthcare system. Ton of experience, a very successful risk manager. And he came to this university to, and he was asked to manage this um, multi-billion dollar insurance per portfolio. Once he got his feet wet, he, he got that under control. He started to do a really good job with the insurance portfolio. Um, he started to build out more risk management procedures that are not financially related, that are much more about building a risk management culture, about asking the right questions, um, about reporting mechanisms, about monitoring uh, ambiguity and uncertainty in the market. He was doing a great job of that, he said, um, for about a year. And then his leadership stepped in and asked him to relinquish the, the risk management processes that he was building up to a lower level staff member and to really focus on the invest in the um, excuse me the um, the insurance portfolio nothing t terrible has happened at this institution it doesn't have a necessarily a bad ending um, but that risk manager when we spoke to him was a bit frustrated by the fact that he was spending all of this time on what he said um, were insurable risks where two-thirds of what they face, two-thirds of the risks they face are not insurable. And the risks to their reputation, they can't insure risks to safety and to health. You can insure the liability to it, but you can't insure someone's health or safety. Um, and he wanted to be focusing more on that area. And he reminded me of a study that CEB did, uh, and I don't remember the date on this study, but they did a study of, I think it was the Fortune 1000 companies, and looked at um, value-destructing events, or value uh, I think it was value, um, I think it was, might have been value destruction events. And they noted that two-thirds of those events were strategic. Those are things that aren't necessarily going to fit into an insurance portfolio. And so then I think about a community college that has done really well. They do have a, a full-time risk manager who covers the insurance portfolio, but who also covers um, risk management processes and procedures. And she's um, been able to build a, a system where the various um, leaders on campus and some other key stakeholders um, get together. And these aren't necessarily key stakeholders that are representative of all functions of the institution. They're ones who think at a strategic level. Um, so I, I don't remember exactly who's in her group, but just for 
um, just for the sake of the story, let's say there's somebody from the provost's office, there's somebody from the financial office, there's somebody from athletics, there's somebody from campus safety. Um, they might have two or three people from some of those offices and they might not have um, enrollment represented at all. But because these are people who are excited about thinking about risk, they're people who can get things done on campus, um, they're able to get in a room and they're able to talk about what are the severe threats that we face? And then walk back once you identify those severe threats to what are the root causes of those threats? Um, I think about workplace harassment as a really good example of this. If you're not walking back to the root causes of workplace harassment at your organization, you're kind of putting band-aids on symptoms and they're gonna keep popping up again. If you have a culture where discrimination is tolerated, don't be surprised when you continue to have incidents of discrimination. Right. However, if you are in that environment and you say, oh, we have, a, we have a culture that fosters discrimination here, how do we affect the culture, not how do we respond to discrimination? Mm -hmm. And she does a very good job of orienting her team, and these are, this is a team of committee members, this is not a team that reports to her, um, of getting them involved in risk management and helping them think about solving the root causes of risk. And again, it's not something that is super resource intensive because a lot of risk mitigation activities um, are about policies, procedures, reporting mechanisms, um, building a culture where people feel safe to, to fail, to grow, to learn. Um, it doesn't necessarily take money, but it does take some time and it does take a commitment and it takes um, buy-in because this person has um, she was asked to come to, to, to this college to build out a process like this because her president and her board thought that this was really important. Mm -hmm. um, she has also openly admitted that if they didn't have that, she didn't have that support from her leadership, there's no way that she could get these people um, and these colleagues of hers engaged and active in risk management. Let's say you join a community college board next week. Yeah. Um, with your background and your experience, you know what you know, and you go into that board in part because they were interested in your background. Um, then you realize the board has never had any involvement in any of this, and nobody on the board knows anything about the college's risk management, just for the sake of this story. Where would you begin? What, what questions would you ask first? keeping in mind that the board's role is not to get involved in any level of administration, it's to ask questions, et cetera. So what do you ask and who do you start with and how do you keep the board cohesive um, so that they're all focused on the, the right things and asking the right questions and yeah. learn to ask those questions in the right way? I think I'm gonna have two sets of conversations simultaneously, one with the board, one with the president. Um, the first question to ask is what are the risks? that we face as an organization. As an organization. Um, where are they? And in many cases, uh, the risks that one institution faces are similar to another, but each institution's what I call risk portfolio or risk profile um, is going to be unique, just because particularly for community colleges, you're going to have to take in local, um, local variables, you're going to have to take in your own financial situation, your own enrollment situation, your own academic programs, and that's all going to result in a a unique risk profile that has um, any number of risks. And then I'm gonna ask those, both of those, or those groups, what are the top five or 10? Um, both in terms of what are the top five or 10 that are most likely to happen, and what are the top five or 10 that could most impact our ability to execute our mission, which in most cases at community colleges, educate students, serve the community. 
um, what's going to get in the way of those? And so once I've done that and I've got it narrowed down to five or ten key risks, I want to know what's going on. What, what are we doing to prevent that? Who is the point person for preventing this risk? If there's not a point person, um, how long until there is a point person for this? And I think this is where the questions start to diverge for the president and for the board. I think at the board, you're starting to talk at the committee level, which committee's keeping their eyes on this, and when you're talking to the president, um, who is this being delegated to? How are you holding them accountable for this risk? And then um, over time, it becomes a question of, well, what's been done? Is this risk now less likely to happen? Is this risk now going to have a smaller impact on our college um, over time? And then it gets back to the question of, is this still a major risk for us? Have we mitigated this risk to the point where there's now not as severe as another risk that we now need to divert attention and resources to? Um, when it comes to conversations with the board and with the president as well, I think one of the important things to emphasize is that you can't mitigate and prevent every risk. Um, I've, I've talked to folks who want to try to be risk-proof. You can't be risk-proof. The mere fact that you're an organization that has employees, that has students, that has a physical plant, means that you cannot be risk-proof. Yeah, I think one thing that's important to, uh, I guess, remind our listeners is that you know if you're if you're a board member. This is really a conversation that you can start at your next board meeting. Right. And it's as, uh, as simple as just saying, hey, what are we doing in regards to X? Um, so it, it also occurs to me, you've spoken about reputational damage. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that, for example, a school shooting, uh, as opposed to a fire on a campus, uh, they can have the same outcomes, unfortunately, which is should be weighed as an equal, equally dire outcome um, in the case of deaths on campus. And yet, uh, some of those, as as you said, people tend to focus on the salacious. And one one possible likely reason for that is because of media coverage, which is likely to cover those stories very differently, it strikes me. A fire might be accidental. Right. They'll look for uh, what, what went wrong structurally if there was neglect, but they won't necessarily uh, vilify anybody on the campus, and the college itself may not suffer reputationally. People won't be afraid to go there because there was a fire in a building as opposed to a shooting. So in your experience, how, how does the crisis management uh, sort of uh, dovetail with public relations damage control? Because it's real, it's real. Yeah. And what I'm thinking and hearing you talk is unfortunately people's um, focus may shift onto one thing that may be far less likely because, you know, taking that into consideration, what you see on the news, some, some things get a lot more coverage and really are covered in a very different way that sort of looks for somebody to blame mm -hmm. um, instead of just an accident that was beyond anyone's control. I mean, there's only so much you can control. Um, it's, you, you can try to control the narrative and any PR or crisis communications um, expert will help you do that to some degree. There's going to be some running with the story no matter what, but if you can continue to do the right things that you can control, mm -hmm. um, you're going to build that capital, that reputational capital, that reputational currency back up. Even if there is the occasional story about five months after the incident that says investigation finds that so-and-so was negligent in 
response to this crisis. Um, yeah, that's going to continue to hurt. But frankly, that damage was done five months ago, and now it's just only impacting you today. There's right. been a time delay between when the wrongdoing happened and how it's harming you. So by that point, there's almost nothing you can do except for try to control the narrative, right. which you should try to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay that. Um, but I think at that point, you're, you've got to be thinking about how do I rebuild the, the confidence, the trust um, in, among my core constituents. Uh, so in many cases, just the local community. How do I prove that I'm a safe place? That, yeah, we had a problem. Um, and we're going to go about fixing it. We're going to be better next time. Um, we're going to be resilient. We're going to say, you know, we had some processes and procedures that failed. Um, or we, we totally lacked them in the first place. Mm-hmm. We're better now. Um, we're a better organization for it, and we've survived. We've moved on, and we're going to be a, we're going to continue to be an active member of this community, and we're going to continue to invite our our community onto campus, and we're going to continue to educate, and we're going to do a better job next time. I yeah, when you when you said basically that a reputation is cumulative, it's it's everything that you do. That includes that. I think right. it's. You know, if something goes wrong, whether you're responsible or not, whether there was a responsible party or not, um, in a sense, I think being transparent about it seems, it really does seem to um, buy greater will from the public than appearing like you're covering it up or you're not dealing with it. People can see a cover up in when it's obvious, right? When people say, oh, they tried to hide that fact and all of a sudden it broke into the news. Like that's pretty ob- that's a pretty obvious way to say there is something fishy going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of a university recently whose board members were kind of litigating the case in public. And that is, a, to, as a member of the public, I mean, not even as somebody who's close to education, as a member of the public, I go, what's going on there? Something weird is happening and I can't even tell if it's a cover up or not. Um, that is probably going to have a more severe impact because the board doesn't have a clear line of communications. There's not really a clear structure of who is supposed to be the spokesperson, or there is a clear structure and people have decided to go against it for what I'm, I can only assume are personal um, relationship reasons. Those are real problems that I think create an even bigger reputational crisis in the community versus the event actually happening and people trying to recover by setting new policies or apologizing or whatever the case may be. I think people are generally pretty forgiving when an external actor does something on campus or when something breaks on campus. I think people are generally willing to say that's an accident, but they have a high expectation that you're going to respond in a a professional way. Mm -hmm. But then when the leadership, whether it's board or administrative level, aren't responding in a professional way, then it looks twice as bad because now not only has something bad happened, the institution and its leaders kind of look to sleep at the wheel. And I think also, I'm reflecting on another uh, specific story. It's okay to ask for help. And I'm wondering what you think, uh, or just in your experience maybe, how do you think different partners can come into play? Um, So for example, there was a college where a crisis happened and that president wasn't, didn't feel fully equipped to handling it. And so called in somebody else to Mm -hmm. say, could you take over for the, you know, with this because I don't feel like I'm up to this task. I, I think that's pretty brave, frankly, to, to be the person at the helm and say, maybe I can't handle this one. Mm-hmm. 
I love that you use the word brave. Um, as I was preparing for, for this interview, I was thinking about just what does, um, what helps make a college resilient? And sometimes it takes acts of bravery. It takes acts of trust that I am going to make a potentially controversial decision and that my board has my back. Mm-hmm. Um, those can be really hard. And particularly when you know it's going to upset somebody. Um, but being in a place where you can be brave in response, I think generates a lot of goodwill, even if it is something that feels really perilous. Um, and maybe perhaps is perilous even. Um, but ultimately, I think a lot of times colleges are going to come out better for it. I'm glad that you talked about the board supporting the president because that that's something that, you know, that's always a concern, always something that ACCT focuses on is building those relationships, building the trust. Um, you know, I, ideally, board hires a president who is somebody that they're going to trust. They hire them for all of those reasons. Um, but like anybody who is together all the time, I know sometimes our you know, our colleagues, it's, it really is like a family, mm-hmm. including all of the pros and cons. And so sometimes there are uh, communications breakdowns or whatever, but in these times of crisis, it seems truly imperative that the board trusts the president and that the president trusts the board and can tap into resources if necessary as well, but they know what everybody's role is, right? I was listening to a previous episode of the podcast, and um, I, I can't remember exactly who said it, but uh, they noted that the presidential uh, to the board communication stream said no surprises, but it goes two ways. Um, yes, you don't want to have the president surprising the board with something, but the board also shouldn't be surprising the president because um, that, that, that uh, guest that you had said that what boards often get is a PR presentation from the president, and it's up to the board to ask the hard but smart and keen questions that gets beyond that presentation and gets into, well, here's what I care about and here's what I'm thinking about and here's what I'm worried about. Don't surprise me if something bad happens here. Um, so I, it's a great point, that, that line of communication and understanding what roles and responsibilities are. It's imperative that both boards and presidents and, and any other leadership staff that reports to the board um, knows what those expectations are so that when a crisis does hit, there is no com- confusion about who's speaking to whom, who's doing what, who's checking in on who. Sometimes um, people bring in outside consultants to help with specific tasks. That's one thing that ACCT does, not to plug ACCT. But um, yeah, I was curious, had you been in that situation, what kind of surprises you might have gotten out of that? Because that, <laughs> that can happen. We've been doing that more on the administrative level at colleges um, and even K-12 schools too, um, where we're having those conversations with presidents, um, VPs, and then key directors on campus as well. Um, We've been working with them, particularly on enterprise risk management, but a lot of enterprise risk management is those communication flows. Who's going to be held responsible for what? How, when are we going to check up on it, on those responsibilities and those tasks? Um, How often? And then how do we know when we're successful? And how do we know when we move on to the next thing? And so that's where we've really been having those conversations was more at the administrative level. Um, and I, I tend to see those issues reflected kind of just at different scales. Um, a lot of colleges aren't, they, they think they have some clarity around what's going to happen in a crisis, but then when we start to talk about it, it maybe not. And um, 
it's important that if, even if you need to bring somebody in from outside that you're willing to do that and to, to solidify your risk management procedures, to solidify your crisis communications procedures. Um, a, a crisis is around the corner on every campus. I can't tell you what that crisis is going to be. I can't tell you when it's going to happen. Um, it might be next week, it might be five years from now. But you're going to have an incident where you something happens that you need to respond to and you need to know what happens if the president is implicated in, in that crisis, if the if some of the victims member. or a board member or some of the victims are in your crisis communications plan, well, who's the backup? Who's the, what's the succession plan? Um, those are all really key elements that need to be hashed out ahead of time. I was talking to somebody at um, a nonprofit who is part of the higher education ecosystem. Um, and she said that her organization, she's a president of this organization, she said that they faced a crisis and her executive vice president, the person who would handle it, was off um, on bereavement leave for a child that uh, had unfortunately passed away earlier in the week. And so she had to take on the responsibilities of the president, of the executive vice president, and also because she knows this person, she, knows, she knew this child, so she's already kind of emotionally um, fried, if you will, and had to do all of that on her own. And she admitted that it really didn't help the crisis response. Um, she needed to have somebody who was a backup to that person who was out because you never know. You should always assume that whatever crisis is going to come, one of your key players isn't going to be available, whether it's because they are implicated, because there's a bereavement leave, because they're vacationing in Thailand and backpacking somewhere and don't have access to their electronics. Right. Um, so you should always be prepared for that. And I, I think that's one of the questions. I know you asked earlier, what, what are the baselines for the board? One of those plans that the board should be asking about is, is there a succession plan in place for every person who's involved in a in a response plan. And I, I even think of the director of public safety. So somebody who's relatively low down in the organization, at least when you're thinking about from the board's perspective, but that's a key player. Um, what if that person's not available? What if your dean of student affairs is not available and there is a major campus protest and students are injured? You probably want somebody there to, to back up the dean of student affairs, for example. Toward the end, I have one that kind of goes back to the beginning of the impossible to answer a question. Yeah. There's no such thing as just a list of yes, these are the things that will prepare you. Nevertheless, <laughs> maybe process-wise then, mm -hmm. thinking about it that way, um, what are the three things that you would say every college would need to account for or have in place? Maybe not three things, but, but you know, what is that baseline? Yeah. It does seem like succession planning or slash backup for the person who is ultimately in charge of this one thing. Um, you know, what, what things are most fundamental and most absolutely imperative to have? Well, I think that the key touch points that I keep coming back to throughout this conversation, I think we keep um, going, getting around here are, um, are present. And I think that there are these just baseline things that every college needs to do and needs to have in place if they're going to respond to a crisis. Um, succession planning, I think is number one. It always, you always need to have a next person up sort of mentality. I mean, I admit to being a big hockey fan and that's kind of one of the ethos in hockey is somebody gets injured, it doesn't matter if it's your star player, the next man up gets called up from the minor leagues and has to be able to perform. I think that that's a relevant attitude in just about any organization. If your provost 
quote unquote goes down for any reason, um, you need to have the next person up and they need to be able to take the reins in a crisis situation. I would say the next thing um, would be to have your communications plans in place. I was talking to a colleague yesterday and we were going back and forth about the case of um, should you have off the shelf communications plans ready to go for a crisis? Um, I'm not sure that we came to a really firm agreement on this. I tend to be of the um, mindset that you want to have a framework for communications plans in place. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, know who's going to talk to who, know who's going to put out the statements, um, know who the backups are, know what are the key point, the key talking points, but you're going to have to fill in the blanks. Um, she was more of the mindset of, you know, you can probably have plans in place for some of the most common things that are going to happen. Um, a fire on campus, for example. Um, if you are facing some financial pressures or accreditation pressures, you can probably have a statement ready to go for that. Um, I countered with the idea of, well, you probably don't want to have a statement ready if you find out your CFO has been embezzling a, a million dollars over the course of the last couple of years. <laughs> you, you, you might not want to have that statement ready <laughs> because you really don't want that to be happening and you want to hope that that's not something that's going to happen on your campus. And she laughed and she gave me that point. Um, in either case, whether you try to go with the more framework approach or the, the more um, off-the-shelf approach, I think that there's a blending of the two that is really important and you can have your ready-to-go statements um, that maybe just need a few tweaks if you know there's a crisis that's particularly likely on your campus. If, but you still want to have those ones that are ready for the out-of-the-blue um, admissions scandal or um, a, a, the, the wildfire that doesn't happen on the West Coast, the wildfire perhaps in Tennessee that we had a couple of years ago. Um, you want to have a framework ready for that? so that you're able to respond quickly to each of your different constituencies because you're going to need to communicate with a certain message to your students, a certain message to your staff and faculty, a certain message internally to your administration, a certain message to your board, a certain message to your community, when whoever that community may be, well, probably the broader city, county, district that you're in, but um, I understand that those can vary quite a bit. And then also communication plans for your, le your legislative and political leadership too. Because when there's a crisis, um, you could probably guarantee that a mayor, county commissioner, leg state legislator, federal legislator is probably going to be sending a message and saying what's going on here. So having all of those communications plans ready to go, I, I know it sounds like a lot, um, but I think that that's one of the real things that, real tangible things that a college can do to prepare themselves for a crisis. And then if you're gonna keep me to three things, I, I would also add one for the board in particular. The board really needs to understand who's supposed to do what. And I mean that from a high level perspective of what, I mean, what you've mentioned already of the board not getting involved in operations. Um, I think that's a really important part of knowing who needs to do what. But then also in, in the event of a crisis, um, not having a board where all board members are trying to get involved and get, get information from different people on campus. Having a really clear president is going to talk to board chair, board chair is going to relay information. If board members want to relay information back down, um, have a process for that too. Should it go through the board chair? Should it go through a committee chair? Um, but having an additional 12, I keep using 12, um, but however many um, oversight voices coming down really complicates and muddies the waters for the administration too. So being really coordinated as a board and understanding that there will be a crisis, um, but that you've hired people, you've hired a president who's hired people 
to handle that crisis and to, to trust them and to trust that they're going to do it well and of course verify and trust but verify but um, understand that there are roles to be played and that excessive intervention might actually make things worse. The uh, communications flow from the president to the board chair, for example, because most boards that are well-functioning boards are set up that way. They should be set up that way. So it seems that doing a dry run through a crisis like this could help to even identify um, what may not be functioning to the best extent it could within a board um, or it, among the board president uh, relationship. Yeah. So I think you know one thing can feed into the other and help to enlighten what's working or not working one way or in the other. I love that you brought up the idea of tabletop exercises because um, we at United Educators, we think of risk management as a muscle and we really tell our members that you know the more you're practicing with this the better you're going to get at it mm-hmm. so if you're table topping situations around student mental health what happens if a, a student commits suicide on campus what happens if we have um, all of a sudden a, an outbreak of um, eating disorders or depression on campus or maybe it's a physical malady mm-hmm. that um, hits campus I'm starting to think about what's going to happen when the children who didn't get vaccinated right. um, that big boom is going to hit college campuses that's starting to be on my mind. So tabletopping those exercises Mm -hmm. um, helps you prepare not only for that, obviously that in a very tangible way, but it also starts to work that muscle of, well, what happens in a different crisis? Um, What happens when there is a fire on campus? What happens when there's a shooter? Well, we know that although we maybe haven't tabletopped that one yet, we haven't practiced it yet, we know that there's a process for communications. And I might have to say, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as the Dean of Student Affairs when this um, safety event happens, but I do know that I need to go check this folder on our shared files, which is gonna outline it for me. And I know that I'm supposed to call our, um, I don't know, our our CFO, for example, because our CFO is the one responsible for coordinating um, any crisis. Um, That's that's the clear benefit that goes beyond whatever that topical crisis was to pretty much all incidents that could be on campus. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. It's Mm -hmm. diverse. It's broad. It seems like an almost unlimited different types of of events that could happen that need to be prepared for. You even mentioned car crashes. Um, There could be a crash on campus, you know, that could affect students or faculty or anybody else. So this is this is where you get to tell us where can people go to figure out how to even begin. You gave great tips for how to begin conversationally, um, but you have resources. So where, where can people look for those? www.ue.org. You'll find um, United Educators website and we have um, quite a few resources available on our website to all organizations. Um, United Educators is an insurance company, and so we do have resources specific to our members as well. They're um, behind a paywall, but we do have some of those available just on the ue.org website that anybody can access. I I do want to address the point, though. You said that there's a lot out there, and there's almost an infinite list of risks and crises. And you're not wrong. That's absolutely true. There's an infinite list of things that could happen. While you can be a trained risk manager, you can be a trained crisis response uh, manager, You don't need to be to make positive change on your campus. This has been part two of a two-part episode with Justin Collinger. Make sure you subscribe so you receive a notification when we release our next episode, and don't hesitate to get in touch if you have ideas for future episodes. I can be reached at jbray at acct.org. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.